0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Well, I'm going to start something new tonight um, on, uh, and I want to preach for a number of weeks on Christology, on Jesus. This should be uh, this should be the wheelhouse of the church, right? It shouldn't be. Um, and yet, I think there are a lot of questions that are perplexing when it comes to understanding our Lord, understanding Jesus, understanding the Trinity. Obviously, there are things that we we may never never fathom about uh, our Triune God, things that we may not understand. And and yet, um, I want to focus on on Jesus. Fo- focus on Him and. Just to get our juices flowing in this respect um, i mean think of think of what scripture says about jesus christ uh, revelation twenty one thirteen I am the alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end that 's like boundless infinity right that 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 is The God that we serve, and and that is the Jesus that is at the... I mean, we call ourselves Christians, right? And that is the Jesus that's at the center of that. He is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then John 1, 1 and 14 have probably always boggled your mind a little bit as you contemplate Jesus' divinity and his humanity. And then in one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then and then we have passages where the Apostle Paul, who loved the Lord Jesus, sang his praises, and Colossians 1 is is one of those hymns of praise that flesh out exactly who Jesus is. And what he's done, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. I mean, it's it's like cosmic, isn't it? I mean, it, it it's expansive. If you haven't spent time meditating on that passage, well, then you have some homework this week. Let your mind just... Settle into Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And think about the grandeur, the glory, the, the heights and the depths of Jesus and his his work. And then we have statements like this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. There's no other route by which someone can be saved. And all of this makes sense when you read all of Scripture and you st- and you begin to understand the task, the work that Jesus and only Jesus could fulfill. Right? There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That is Jesus, the one name by which we must be saved. And then John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So, I mean, these begin to, these begin to expand out um, our knowledge of Jesus. Jesus is not just what our culture has presented him to us. What has our culture presented Jesus to us as? Well, a friend. And friends are good. Friends are sweet. Friends are necessary, even. But they're not the second person of the Trinity. Okay, eternal, unchangeable, omnipotent, omniscient son of god right jesus is not co-pilot jesus is not friend jesus is not help in trouble you know he he is those things and he says he is those things but that does not that is not that does not comprehend him right that is not the full picture scripture paints a much fuller picture and unless you have that unless you have that full picture of christ then jesus is going to get boring to you right jesus will be a, a will only satisfy you as long as you are interested right rather than you your mind being engaged in his incredible awesome glory and so we go to scripture and so christology what, why do i use that term what is it what is christology just like anything where you put ology on the end of it it means the study of that so we study Christ. Why um, uh, Scripture commands that we, we study, doesn't it? How does it, where does it, what does it command as far as that's concerned? What does it tell us to do in regard to God? It tells us to meditate. There's a one word I'm particularly thinking of, read my mind. You said it to know him, right? Scripture commands us to know God and right. No one can know him without God revealing himself to them. But then we are commanded to to study, to know, right? And and so this is this is part. I know you have a long to do list for next week, but part of your calling as a Christian is to know God. And next Sunday, you should know him better than you do this Sunday. Right? That should be your constant pursuit. You should remind yourself of the truths of Scripture all the time. Come back to it. And next Sunday, be more mature. Know him more. Having put put behind what's childish and pressed on to, to maturity. Right? The Scriptures say this. They say, you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so we're commanded to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Is that, is that your objective for next week? Make it your objective. That should probably come first for the laundry, right? Before the vocation. You should be saying this week, through all those other things, I'm going to be getting to know my Savior. Um, why, do we, why do we need to study? Why do we need to pursue these things? Because our fallen nature requires us to continually fight, Right. If we're not taking ground, if we're not killing sin, it's killing us, you know, all those things. If we're not taking ground, we're losing ground. Okay? And so our fallen nature requires us to be pursuing God and growing in grace. If we hold wrong, even even, let's say, heretical views of Jesus... Because we have such a weak view of who Jesus is, I mean, many people hold heretical views of Jesus, but they think it's okay because they know one thing, that Jesus saves. They don't really know what that means, but they, you know, Jesus saves. And, you know, uh, he was just a man, but he became God, and, you know, but I know he saves. Well, no, that's, that doesn't cut it, right? We, we have to grow in our knowledge If the Christ we trust and preach, Sinclair Ferguson said, if the Christ we trust and preach is not qualified to save us, we have a false Christ. In other words, what we believe about Christ, getting it right, matters immensely. If we get Jesus wrong, then Jesus is not qualified to save and we're dead in our sins. Okay, so these things are very important. To know and believe what God's Word teaches about Jesus Christ is absolutely essential to our knowledge of ourselves and of God, and any error here is damnable. It's critical, right? And, and why do we study Christology? Christology, however you want to say it. Christology. Sounds more intellectual. Um, we want to answer Christ's own question to Peter. And the apostles, what did Jesus ask Peter and the apostles? Who do you say that I am, right? Who do you say that I am? That's the question you have to answer. And what was Peter's answer? Peter's answer was beautiful. You're the Christ, son of the living God. And so that we are, we're going to try to answer this question, who do you say that I am? And expand that out, and that—that that is the pursuit of our lives, isn't it? To know Christ and to grow in Him. It is. The, it is, you know, we'll, we'll study things like Christ's eternity, His divinity, His humanity, His life, His death, His resurrection, His um, ascension, His session, His uh, relationships, His actions, His. Uh, nature, his wills, I mean, these get, these get hard. His sinlessness, his ability or inability to sin. Was it possible for Jesus to sin? Do you have an answer to that question? Has anybody ever asked you that question when you're witnessing to them? Um, and so we'll hammer through some of these questions and try to handle them as, as best we can in the coming weeks. Here's the other reason to to study Jesus. It is to meditate on his glory. When you begin to study Jesus, you're meditating on his glory. Uh, John Owen, who wrote a book called The Glory of Christ that all of you should read, said... Let's see if I've got it here. That real view which we may have of Christ and his glory in this world by faith, however weak and obscure that knowledge which we attain of them by divine revelation, is inexpressibly to be preferred above all other wisdom, understanding, or knowledge whatsoever. So it is declared by him who will be acknowledged a competent judge in these things, yea, doubtless, says he I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He who does not so has no part in him. That's what John Owen says. To, to study Christ, to meditate on Christ, is to, to know his glory and to count it as excellent. Now, where to start in all this? And I, I'm going to be somewhat brief tonight. The um, all these questions were are hard questions, aren't they? How does the human nature and the divine nature come together? You know how do how do how do we describe these things? You know, but but think about the early councils of the church. What what were the questions that the early council of the church were trying to answer? Who do you say that I am, right? Who is Jesus? I mean, the Council of Nicaea 325, they're trying to figure out the the deity of, the divinity of Christ, the eternal deity, right? And then Constantinople, they're trying to figure out the person of Christ. And they're opposing heretics who are starting to teach, well, there wasn't really a human nature. It was just a divine nature that kind of looked like a human. And so these errors are starting to creep in. And and these theologians realize, okay, the whole faith is at stake if we don't get Jesus right. And so, and then the the Council of Ephesus, the person of Christ, comes up again. Nestorius is, is denying the deity of Christ and emphasizing the humanity. Why is he doing that? Well, his motives are somewhat good. He says, well, if we, if we have a Christ that's too high, then he's too distant from us and we can't relate to him. And so he begins to emphasize the humanity. But if you jettison the deity to emphasize humanity, you're a heretic, right? And you've fallen off the rails one side or the other. And then the Chalcedonian Creed comes along. And this is where things get, get solidified. Uh, again, the person of Christ is, is being worked out. And the guy named Eutyches is a heretic. He's teaching the wrong things and he he believes, okay, so Nestorius falls off the rails on one side or the other and then Eutyches says, well, the hu- human and the divine come together and create a third thing. Right? A tertium quid, a third thing. And so he's not really human, he's not really divine, he's this thing that's different from everything else. That's heresy. As soon as you do that, you've denied the scriptures which teach clearly that Jesus was divine and that he was human. He wasn't this third thing. Right? So, so listen to this. Here's what they come up with. Have you read the Chalcedonian Creed? This is one of the main one of the main creeds that we hold to. We as Protestants hold to the first four ecumenical councils, right? We we get rid of the other ones when they start saying icons are okay and and uh, things that are opposed to the second commandment. But um, here's what they said. Listen to this, and it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling because it says a lot and doesn't say too much, right? It's trying to walk this line. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, "...the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable or rational soul and body, consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us according to the manhood, and all things like unto us without sin. Begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, And in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, and then a bunch of adjectives. Inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. As the prophets from the beginning declared concerning Him, and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. Now... You, as a Christian, should be able to explain to anybody the Chalcedonian Creed. Because you know Jesus. Right? Well, let's get there. Right? I mean, but, but it seems like we would know something about Jesus. That we would know when they say, you know, the, these adjectives, this inconfusedly and. and with, where are they? Where is it? Where'd it go? There it is. It's talking about two natures and and it's trying to protect from what Eutychius said, right? He said well the two natures become they sort of absorb into each other and become this one. And they say no, unconfusedly two natures, one person. They don't transform into one another, they don't combine, they don't get confused, they don't get mixed together, but somehow they're together in one person and they're all negatives right unchangeably inconfusably they they they're defining who had this combination with negative terms and so you know we, ha- we we should have a sense of these things but what they're trying to do is be precise in protecting the fact that Jesus was both god and man very simply protecting the fact that he is god and man if he's not god bad things happen with scripture if he's not man, bad things happen with Scripture, and you have to reorient. So this is 451. right? 325 was the Nicene Creed. So from 325 to 451, they're still trying to hammer out these doctrines of Jesus and protect orthodoxy, protect the church and the teaching of the church. Another creed that you should read that has to do with Jesus' humanity and divinity is the Athanasian Creed. Read it. Search it. Look it up. It's right, Athanasius. <laughs> Look it up, man. Memorize it. Um, how is God one and three? How is Jesus God and man? The, and the creeds are there to summarize biblical teaching. Now, very simply, I, um, there's just a few verses, and this is where we'll stop, but a few verses on Jesus being God. Um, The presuppositions that we come here with is that the Bible is God's word, okay? The Bible is God's word, and if we want to learn about God, we have to go to the scriptures. Without it, would we have clarity about anything concerning God? No, we would not have clarity. What would we have? We would have a little bit of natural revelation which, which would tell us that there is a God, right? The heavens declare the glory of God, and we'd know that, but would we know anything about the two natures i mean the, the 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 wills of god and jesus and the and the the humanity and the divinity come. no we wouldn't have anything so so we all of this is coming from the word of god that's the only place that we can go we would not have any specific knowledge of god if it weren't for the scriptures it is there for us and so look at statements like this look at romans 9 Verse 5, where Paul is talking about Israel here, and in the midst of this, he makes a rather striking statement. He's, he's listing all the blessings that came to Israel. For I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises. Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all God blessed forever? Right there, he says that Jesus is the Christ and is God blessed forever. Um, Christ according to the flesh. Right there, he emphasizes both the divinity and the humanity of Jesus, one verse compacted together. So remember Romans 9, 5, if you need one of those tight those proofs. And then I read it before, but John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word made his dwelling among us, right, in the flesh. Again, stating that Jesus was uh, both a man and was uh, preexistent. Um, John's language is much like the beginning of Genesis, right, in the beginning. And he's, he's pointing to the preexistent Jesus. John 20, verse 28. What is Thomas? Thomas is, a, is, is doubting, right? He says, "Unless I put my hands in his side, I will, will not believe." And then he does, and what does he confess? What does he say to Jesus' face? My Lord and my God." Right? he's not confused about whether this is whether this is uh divinity that's standing before him. He says, "My Lord and my God, my master and my yahweh right my God standing before me. It is an amazing confession of the divinity of Christ Titus two titus two thirteen Looking, well, I'll go back two verses. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Hebrews 1.8. Let's turn over a page. I mean, the, this whole first part of Hebrews is proclaiming Jesus' divinity, his, his exalted position above even the angels. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. He attributes deity to our Jesus. And then Second Peter 1, 1, I think is where it is. Uh, wait, Second Peter, I've got the... Uh, where was it? Oh, one. Yeah, it's right there in the second half of 1-1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The apostles are constantly teaching this. They're proclaiming that Jesus was not a, was not a blessed man, Not just a blessed man, not just a a prophet, not just an enlightened man, but that he was God and Savior, that he was God and man. Um, John, I mean, and and here's one of the most powerful. From Jesus' own life, John 8. I love this passage. Jesus is doing battle with these, these blind Pharisees. And... I'll pick it up in verse 48 of John 8. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Who do you say that I am? Except they're asking him. And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And that you have come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know Him and keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And and now it's like dramatic pause and Jesus says truly truly I say to you before Abraham was born I am Now what is Jesus doing there? He's confessing his deity. How? By taking for himself the covenant memorial name Yahweh, right? Exodus 3. He's taking to himself that, that name that he revealed about himself to Moses when, when he was there in the form of a burning bush that was not consumed, right? So, in and in there, there it is said, um, I am that I am, right? And when they inquire, what will you tell them? Say that I am. Has sent, sent you. And, of course, it's only further confirmed by the response of the Jews, right? The Jews say, dude just took the name Yahweh. And so what do they do? It says, therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why would they pick up stones to throw at him? Because they think he's blaspheming. Right? They think he's blaspheming, but what he's saying is that was me then, and it was before Abraham. And so he's proclaiming his deity through this by taking the name Yahweh. So, so this means that Jesus is eternal, unchangeable, omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. And yet, as a man, he died, he grew. He left his father, he learned, he hurt, and he suffered. Let me say that again. Jesus is eternal, unchangeable, um, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and yet as a man he died, he grew, he left his father. He learned, he hurt, and he suffered. And we have to come to terms with these things, right? This is what Scripture teaches. It teaches us that he learned obedience through the things he suffered, and yet he's omniscient as the Son of God. What do we do with that? Well, part of us just meditates on it and praises God for it, but then we also study it. We think about how wonderful it is that God would do such works. Jonathan Edwards said, There do meet in the person of Christ such really diverse excellencies, which otherwise would have been thought utterly incompatible in the same subject, such as are conjoined in no other person whatever, either divine, human, or angelic, and such as neither men nor angels would ever have imagined could have met together in the same person, had it not been seen in the person of Christ. Right? These am- amazingly divergent things, things that we in our finite minds think are somehow contradictory, but which really aren't, which may be paradoxes, but they are not contradictions. Um, these things are hard to fathom. You know, you think about Paul's ex- exclamation in Romans 11 about the just the glories. Um, We cannot make sense of the God-man Jesus Christ without understanding his voluntary condescension in the incarnation, and that's something we'll think about. As, As we affirm his deity, we still think about his voluntary condescension and emptying of himself in his incarnation, where these things that seem contradictory come together. He did not and will never cease being God. But from his incarnation forward, The two natures, one divine, one human, are together in the one person, Jesus. Meditate on it. Chew on it. Think about what it means. Think about the glory of it. Think about the fact that the triune God, the second person of the triune God, which is three in one, is both human and divine eternally. And that the wounds of Jesus Christ will be visible to you when you stand before him. And so we can't begin to comprehend the glory of Jesus in only a single respect. And and so um, it will, you, you wonder, you begin to wonder because of the glories of these things and how it occupies our mind now. Um. That in eternity, in his presence, we will study and know and worship him as well. We will study to know these amazing things eternally. We will begin to understand them because we won't be strapped with the sin that so clouds our minds now. But um, this is the glory of Jesus Christ. And so uh, the, first, the first thing I wanted to state tonight was simply that Jesus is God. We'll come to the, the other questions um, down the road a bit. But think about that. Think about that fact this week. Meditate on it. Know it. Write down these references and go and look at them. And proclaim this back to the Lord. That's one of the ways that we meditate is in prayer. To say, Jesus, you, you are glorious. You are God. I worship you. I bow down before you. And so that's what we do um, to get to know him. But study the scriptures Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you that, that Jesus, though being your, Father, being your equal, did not regard that equality as something to be, to be uh, selfishly uh, grasped, but he emptied himself and did not cease being God but somehow became man as well. Lord, we praise you for this. We we meditate on the glory of it. Lord, help us to understand it. Help us to know and exalt Jesus in our minds. Lord, as we study him, as we go through these, these weeks of, of thinking about his attributes, Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would open up your scriptures to us, and that at the end of it, we would... Oh Lord that we would be in awe of your love for us but but simply in awe of your amazing glory revealed to us in your word Lord help our minds to to grow and our hearts and our love to grow in the worship of you we pray this in Jesus name amen